This is Maine Coast Doc Talk, a podcast bringing you the latest news and stories from Maine's working waterfronts. This podcast is brought to you by the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. I'm your host, Ben Martens. Pat Kelleher was appointed Commissioner of Department of Marine Resources in 2011 and has been reappointed to the position of the newly elected Governor Mills. Previously, Pat served as director of DMR's Bureau of Sea-Run Fisheries and Habitat, spent time as the executive director of the Coastal Conservation Association in both Maine and New England, and served as executive director of the Maine Atlantic Salmon Commission. Earlier this year, Pat was elected vice chair of the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission, which oversees the management of interstate fisheries along the Atlantic coast. Thank you for taking the time to chat with no, us today. And, um, you know, we've been thrilled to see you get reappointed. And I thought that was a great opportunity for us to kind of chat about where you've been, where you've come from, and, and where you think the state's going. So, but I want to start with a little bit of background on yep. you. If you could kind of walk us down the path of how you became commissioner of the Department of Marine Resources. That's a good question. I mean, that may be like, we might need four or five episodes of the podcast. To All right, well then give it, give it to me the bridged uh, version the, the, while you're sitting in that yeah, chair. Yeah, so yeah, from, I won't start from the time I was a small boy then. Um, I, you know, growing up on the water, grew up on the Kennebec River, spending time in Casco Bay on Cliff Island uh, with a family that uh, were all commercial fishermen. Um, and, um, you know, that was kind of the foundation, really, that was laid for me. Um, and when I, uh, as, as I started to figure out what I was going to do with my life, um, I actually started out as a uh, full-time professional guide which turned into a charter boat operator operation, and I was spending 100 to 120 days on the water uh, between the Kennebec River and Casco Bay. Um, that was all around striped bass. Striped bass was the driver, um, but I realized very quickly that if I did not have a voice in the management side of this process, then my livelihood was gonna be impacted. So I got very involved. Uh, at the Atlantic State Marine Fisheries Commission, uh, working with the department. Um, this was back in the, this was 25 plus years ago. They appointed me to, uh, to the advisory councils. I started getting involved like everybody does at the ground floor. Uh, that turned into, um, quickly into a job at the Coastal Conservation Association running the main chapter. And was, you know, I grew that organization to uh, you know, nearly a uh, half million dollar budget with uh, with two or three employees and uh, 1,200 members and um, really got engaged on policy issues. Uh, took me off the water. I'm not sure that's a good thing sometimes when I think back of it. Uh, but uh, that led to, you know, kind of a, a really my career in fisheries management and policy issues uh, around around marine issues. Big focus of mine was habitat, and especially river habitat. Uh, I love the rivers in Maine, love them, uh, and uh, tried to figure out how can I make them better. And so both at CCA and then a phone call from uh, then Governor Baldacci saying, hey, would you come run the Salmon Commission for us? And so that turned into my first um, political appointment, if you will, and um, worked closely with Commissioner LaPointe at the time on all things related to sea-run fisheries. And then that's when we realized, you know, let's break the silo down. Um, a single species management agency makes no sense. And uh, we merged it into the department. Mm -hmm. And so I've been, a, been employed at the Department of Marine Resources for 
16 years now, um, eight of those now as, uh, as commissioner. So, um, and uh, that's the abridged version. And, I mean, with your background of, you know, you know, being knee deep in the rivers and mm-hmm. working on rivers, um, you have had some pretty great things happen over the past eight years when it comes to protecting and preserving and restoring our rivers as commissioner as well. So that yeah. must be pretty nice to have seen some of those projects from the beginnings to the yeah, end. Yeah, no question. I, I was I was still the director at uh, CCA sitting in my office in Yarmouth when I got the first call about the Penobscot River Project. Really? And uh, I hung the phone up and I thought, these people are crazy. <laughs> and uh, so... You know, a year later, it was still there. They were still talking about it. Two years later, they were still talking about it. Um, and then next thing I know, I'm making trips to Washington trying to raise money. And uh, we got very involved in the um, on the congressional side of that project and uh, was, you know, very proud to see that come to um, completion several years ago. And uh, now we've got, you know, we'll, we'll see millions and millions of River Herring running up in the, the Penobscot River, just like we have right out the window here on the Kennebec. Uh, we've got shad runs restoring. You know, I'm not sure what will ever what will ever come of the Atlantic salmon, the plight of the Atlantic salmon. I think there's a lot more to it, obviously, than just taking dams down. But um, in, in the case of the Penobscot, we actually gained power generation by removing three dams. You know, so it was a win-win, you know, and, you know, I'll steal George LaPointe's uh, phrase, but it's smart hydropower. You know, it was smart hydro. And uh, we've used that lesson um, on that we learned on the Kennebec, on the Penobscot, on the Presumpscot. Um, and there's probably some more work that'll happen, uh, I'm hoping, in the next eight years on the Kennebec. So good stuff. That's great. So now to get back to your reappointment, um, you were one of the few department heads that were reappointed by Governor Mills. Yeah. Um, so while we have some consistency in the Department of Marine Resources, there are a lot of changes that are taking place in Augusta and under yeah. her leadership. Um, what do you think the industry uh, on the commercial side should be expecting from the Department of Marine Resources under the new administration in Augusta? I don't think you're really going to see a whole lot of change from a department perspective. Um, obviously, this this governor has um, some uh, very different views when it comes to renewable energy. Offshore wind is a big one. Um, she's very supportive of the University of Maine project. I think you'll see now the department um, becoming more engaged in that project other than just commenting on a, on a permit that would go in front of DEP. Um, I don't know what that looks like yet, frankly. Um, the governor and I have talked about it at a very high level. Um, she knows that I have concerns. Uh, and in fact, I'm meeting with her this afternoon uh, in preparation for uh, her trip down to the forum this weekend and uh, talk to her a little bit about um, what my thoughts are and understand what her thoughts are um, and see if there's, see if we can create some common uh, goals within, uh, within the industry, frankly, to, to say, okay, how does this work? Um, you know, the, the, this two-turbine project by the university is one thing, but if you 
my concern really gets to the bigger question of what we see going on in southern New England, uh, these large leases off New York and Massachusetts, and what that would mean to the commercial industry and what that would mean to a re- from a resource perspective. Right, Our, our comments revolve around resource, but they also uh, have to take into account how we're going to uh, interact with the industry. So I think I think we're, you'll see the department much more engaged in that conversation than we ever have been. Um, and then climate change. Yeah. Everything we do revolves around climate change. And whether you you know are a climate believer or a climate denier, you can't uh, refute what the thermometer says. And we've got 100 years of data in Booth Bay Harbor that shows the water temperature. And that one spot is going up, and we see that across the Gulf of Maine. It's the second fastest warming water body of water on the planet. And um, it drives everything that happens within our fisheries, both good and bad. And so um, there will be a much more concerted effort across agency lines to talk about what climate means to this, uh, to this industry uh, and to the state as a whole. So um, I can imagine that one of, the, one of the issues that Governor Mills is going to be hearing about from fishermen as she's wandering around the forum is the offshore wind yep. issue. Um, but climate change more and more is something that I'm hearing from fishermen that they're concerned about. Yeah. Um, how do you see fishermen being able to add value to that climate change conversation in a way that um, I think many of them are starting to feel like their participation in that discussion could start to undermine their future business? Yeah. Um, and that's a really hard place to be putting fishermen to be both advocates and um, you know protecting the future of their, their communities. Yeah, I think you know there's, there's several bills in front of the committee that would create task force to look at how we're going to deal with climate um certainly think uh, individual fishermen and the organizations like yours need to be engaged in in all of those conversations um you know a lot of the climate change conversations when it comes to commercial fisheries certainly revolves around allocation because of shifting stocks mm-hmm. and um that's one of my biggest frustrations is actually getting the management bodies to actually engage and have those conversations. Nobody wants to give up what they have. Um, but I certainly don't want to see in 10 years' time, you know, a very robust black sea bass fishery off the coast of Maine that our Maine fishermen can't even access. So there's the allocation side of climate, the shifting species side. Um, but there's also an understanding of renewables and how renewables can affect the bigger picture, right, and, and, and improve upon the bigger picture. Um, some of that stuff gets out of my uh, uh, out of my wheelhouse, so to speak. But um, it, it, it's I think it's going to be critical that the industry remains engaged and listens and reads and understands what's happening. Great. Um, so to shift gears a little bit. Um, Lobster fishery is like one of the biggest economic drivers along our coast, as we know, um, and they're going to be facing some pretty big changes over the next few years to their businesses, to their communities, to how they've been operating uh, historically. Um, can you give me a brief high-level overview of what's going on with the herring stock? Um, why is that going to impact our coast? And then what type of things DMR and uh, Augusta is, is starting to think about to address some of those potential issues? Yeah, the heron stock's in real bad shape. Spawning stock biomass is, um, you know, not at an all-time low, but damn close. Um, um, the council, through Amendment 8, um, 
really made um, some tough decisions on how this fishery will look in the future, including setting a control rule that puts us in moving in the direction of um, drastic reductions. And we saw those when the agency came out with their 2019 um, uh, allocation across uh, across the management areas. 1A here in the Gulf of Maine um, uh, in 2018 had an allocation of 20, I believe, 27,000 metric tons. This year, it's 4,300 metric tons. So um, we're, the lobster industry is facing a very serious shortage of bait uh, coming into the 2019 season. There's, there's no way around it. Um, we, um, as an agency, have been, we talk about it every day. You know, where are we going? How is this going to get here? I've had many conversations with bait dealers, both individually and in a, in a meeting that I held here at the agency. Um, to try to understand what people are looking at, what people are doing. And, you know, you put a bunch of bait deals in a room, it's pretty hard to get them to talk. Uh, but you get them outside the room and you, you start listening to what they're trying to do to avoid the impact to their own business and continue to supply, a, you know, a, a quality bait um, that is uh, free of biosecurity concerns. Maine is the only state on the East Coast that deals with bait safety. Uh, we're trying to change that. But. And, and so what do you uh, what do you mean by that? So Maine uh, put rules into place uh, very early on while I was commissioner, um, work that the Lobster Advisory Committee did with the industry support to um, establish bait safety rules. So if you want to bring a bait in, um, you have to make sure it's either on the approved, you have to make sure it's on the approved list if it's a marine species. And if it's not, it's something that's not on the list, um, then we have to do a thorough research uh, around what that bait is. Um, and basically do a threats assessment. And so um, some things are allowed um, from a marine species perspective, um, and then some things are not allowed. And what are, what are the threats that you guys would be looking at? So biosecurity threats, um, um, you know, any, any type of disease that could be transmitted from a bait uh, into a wild population here within the Gulf of Maine. Uh, VHS, um, uh, uh, a um, disease that could affect the herring, sto- herring stocks, um, obviously would trans- there's, a, there's a direct link to salmon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the reasons we don't allow salmon racks within the, within the fishery from the aquaculture um, industry. Um, one of the most scary ones, which uh, we had somebody wanted to bring in bait um, from Vietnam, Vietnam, they wanted to bring Vietnamese catfish in, and they sent us um, a proposal which included the fact that it was food grade. Um, when we did the research, we realized that they were grown out in ponds that also uh, were used for shrimp, <laughs> and those uh, shrimp um, are widely known to carry white spot disease, uh, which could transmit directly to our shrimp, to our crabs, and to our lobsters. So obviously that was an easy one for us to say no. Um, but, you know, we get these requests in, and it, this is the bait safety review team. It takes a long time to go through the process, and it's a process that we've elevated to the Atlantic State Marine Fisheries Commission. A resolution was passed to have states voluntarily try to come into compliance, but uh, this may become a, a compliance issue from a commission perspective in the next couple of years. That's some great initiative that, that our state has taken to uh, protect the marine resources out there. Yeah, because we, we say no to a shipment of bait. It just goes to New Hampshire or Massachusetts. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, back, back to the original question, I think, I think the bait dealers are really doing as much as they possibly can to offset the, the bait deficit. We're talking about a bait deficit of 
50 million to 60 million pounds of herring that are not won't be available. Um, and so you start looking at that and you think, well, how are we going to make that up? I mean, hopefully we'll make up 10, 12, 15 million pounds with Menhaden. Hopefully we'll make up some, a lot more of that with hard bait. But say, say between hard bait, um, you know, f- that's been approved and frozen, the hard bait that's, um, that's been frozen and brought in from other areas, uh, and Menhaden, say we make up, say we make up 30 million of that 50 million, it's still a 20 million pound deficit. So now it's going to be very um, uh, critical that we work closely with the industry to say, okay, when we open some of these fisheries up, that, that they're happening during peak demand. So July, August, September, uh, going into October. It's, you can look at the landings very easily and say, when we're going to need bait, it's in that window. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. so that, that does kind of flow into the next question of, of the issue of whales. And I've heard several people say that, um, you know, we can very easily fix our bait problem by reducing the number of traps in the ocean, which is one of the proposals um, that is on the table for for reducing whale interactions. Mm. Uh, Just high level, what's the problem with whales in the Gulf of Maine in our lobster fishery? Mm. And there was a new letter this week that started, uh, called out the council for not addressing other fixed gear like gill nets in the Gulf of Maine. So what's going on with right whales in the Gulf of Maine? Um, there's 411 right whales left, North Atlantic right whales left. They are species um, that are uh, certainly um, on the brink. Um, and some people are calling uh, an extinction rate within the next 25 to 30 years if something's not done. Um, they're in the process of doing a five-year review and a biological opinion right now. There are three lawsuits against the agency that are driving the biological opinion. There's this two, this two big federal laws at play here, the Marine Mammal Protection Act and then the Endangered Species Act. Both of them um, are, um, well, let's just say they've got giant hammers on both sides, right? Yeah. And um, we are trying to figure out a way right now, this is why the commission has become involved, to say is there something we can do from a management perspective that the agency could use when they do their final review, their final part portion of the biological review, um, that would help alleviate jeopardy, so they don't have to claim that the species is in jeopardy. Um, if right whales are found to be in jeopardy based on the biological opinion, and we have taken no action to try to reduce the risk, and this is all about risk reduction, then what we're talking about is having uh, basically handing the keys to the new to, to the to the whole operation over to NOAA Fisheries, and so that's kind of the conversation I've been having with industry one on one, and we'll and we'll we're going to have a lot of industry meetings here coming up. Um, it's like, do you want to be in charge of your own destiny through the commission process, mm-hmm. or do you want to roll the dice and find out that the species is in jeopardy and then NOAA Fisheries is making determinations on what the new rules will be, which will include probably large-scale closures, drastic uh, trap reductions, things of that nature. Um, you know, Massachusetts took the approach in the last time, five years ago, with vertical line reductions to not do anything, and they ended up with a very large closure. We've, we've been very proactive as an agency and working directly with the industry, and I think we've found some good solutions. Good solutions don't come without pain, 
and um, we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and uh, have a conversation where some people are going to get hot under the collar and we need to remain at the table, try to figure out how we can um, alleviate risk while maintaining a very highly productive uh, and strong economic engine for the state. Great. So there's pressures on the ocean side um, for a lot of our fishing businesses when it's lobster, changing climates, um, all these new rules and regulations going into place. Um, The other thing that we've been hearing a lot more about in the press and and from fishermen is development and Mm -hmm. the pressure that development's having along the working waterfront um, with both new and increased pressures recently. What role do you think the state should be playing, could be playing in protecting, investing, and preserving uh, local working waterfront? The state certainly needs to... um continue to support and expand the Working Waterfront Program within the Lands for Main Future Program. Um, I've been chair of that group for the last couple of years, and um, we just went out with an RFP with uh, with about $2 million uh, in funds to help protect Working Waterfront along our coast. $2 million doesn't go very far when you're talking about trying to protect waterfront uh, and access in Portland, Maine. Uh, you know, the development threat is extremely high, um, you've got a uh, you, you've got a city that's um, outwardly supportive of their industry, but looking at the economic driver, what's the biggest benefit for the health of our city? And um, you know, I think the I think the commercial industry in Portland's done a great job at um, maintaining pressure and keeping keeping a focus on that issue. I. I'm hesitant to say the state should just wade into a municipal issue, yep. um, but um, if if we can get the, the proper funding in place for uh, the Working Waterfront Program, I think that's where really we played the best and most important role. Um, I can't remember how, what, how many, um, you know, I should have had the data in front of me, but the, the amount of um, d- property that we've uh, protected from a Working Waterfront it, it's a it's a very small amount, but it has a huge economic impact, and so we we need to be more engaged, and we need to try to find some maybe some different creative solutions for, especially if you look at these wharf owners with that threat to inversion. Is there something that can be done to potentially incentivize them to maintain that access? And so, uh, the other pressure that's coming from the inside of uh, whether it's a working waterfront or, or near shore is the idea of aquaculture mm-hmm. in the, the Gulf of Maine. Um, you and I were at a conference by the Island Institute and the focus of that was really fo- on the next generation, the future of Maine's coastal communities, what that looks like. And aquaculture was a piece of that discussion. There wasn't a lot of discussion about our uh, wild caught fisheries mm-hmm. in that room. Um, but we've seen in Brunswick and in other communities when, aquacu- when aquaculture starts to scale up, it becomes very controversial. And um, what kind of role should DMR play in that intertidal nearshore area so that it doesn't become a ter- territorial fight between traditional users and new users? I know you guys are the ones that have to make the final decisions mm-hmm. oftentimes, but is there other things that we, that you, that the state needs to be thinking about as that transition starts to take place and there's the the hesitancy towards change so diversification within fisheries is the is the hardest issue that we can try to resolve right i mean 
eight years ago when I went through my confirmation hearing, there was like, you know, we, we want to hear your thoughts on diversification. Well, over the last 20 years, as we continue to close fisheries and make them limited access or closed access, you've taken away diversification. So to try to get that back becomes not impossible, but very difficult. One of the areas, well, look at the northern Gulf of Maine conversation on scallops. Yeah. Um, obviously not, not, a, not an aquaculture issue, but there's a, there's a great example of uh, continuing to do good work with the industry to maintain a level of diversification so people have an option if they wanted to go try to find a permit to buy. Um, that's, a, that's great from a wild-caught fisheries perspective and a very high, high priority for the department. But then there is this, these other opportunities related to aquaculture, and we're seeing less and less concern from the wild-caught industry, from the commercial industry, than we ever have. Mm-hmm. We're seeing more and more fishermen saying, you know something, with all the changes going on in the Gulf of Maine, maybe I need to look at this. And we're seeing LPAs for, um, uh, for our oysters and for uh, limited-purpose aquaculture license um, for oysters and for growing kelp. And people are starting to dabble in it. Now we're seeing larger um, standard and uh, experimental leases being applied for. Um, you know, that's a key component of diversification. You know, I don't think we can just put ourselves in the wild-caught fisheries box any longer um, with with everything that's changing. I want to put it into perspective here from an aqu- for aquaculture within the state of Maine. You could take every aquaculture lease in the state of Maine and put it inside the fence at the Portland Jetport, right? So people think that um, this is a dr- – we've dramatically scaled up on aquaculture. What we have is had, and especially in the last six months, two very contentious leases, one in southern Maine, one here in Brunswick, um, being driven by um, landowner concerns regarding having a commercial operation in their viewshed in most cases. Um, a lot of these people that don't want it there say, we're not opposed to aquaculture. But it's, we don't want it here. Mm-hmm. It's, I understand that. I mean, I, I certainly understand it. Um, but we also see where they have said in the past that we don't want it here, where now it's embraced. Dammer Scott is a great example. Sure. Look, at, look, at yep. the, look at the aquaculture for, um, operations within, within that river um, right off the town dock now and, uh, and upwards in the salt bay. So, um, we, we have requirements that are very clear in law regarding the standards that must be met for dealing with the habitat, the flora, the fauna, the existing uses. Um, you know, we've denied or modified leases based on commercial fishing use within the area. Um, we have um, uh, we've denied based on habitat impacts. We've denied for many different reasons. Um, but when you infuse the social component, into aquaculture, it's a it's a very difficult situation, and I can I, I cannot ignore the law when I when I grant these. So um, it's it's not an easy situation. These these leases take a long time when they're controversial to get in place. There's no final decision on Muir Point in Brunswick or uh, Spinning Creek in Southern Maine. They've been the two most controversial recently, um, but w- we need. We need to maintain 
basically a high level of transparency within the process to ensure that all voices are heard. So when it does come time for me to make a final decision based on recommendations that come out of our aquaculture division, it's made with that best available information as it relates to the law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and um, there's a couple bills in the legislature this year. Uh, Representative McCrate has got a, a bill to do some envisioning in regards to uh, this. Um, I, I am sure we're going to have a lot more conversations to try to figure out what the future of aquaculture in Maine is. From an economic standpoint, I think it's a, I think it's a big growth industry. Yeah. If we can resolve some of these siting locations, you know, siting issues. Um, eight years ago, when somebody asked me about it, I said I, we don't, you shouldn't have people from away determining where aquaculture leases go. And then, of course, that turned around and bit me very hard. On the, uh, in a court case, they said I was biased. But it, what they didn't hear me say is the part about transparency. Sure. And the transparency, in the transparency in the process can't be lost. So. A bunch of the questions I just asked you started with, there's concerns or things are, people are worried, there's changes coming. Um, I, I, I really don't like uh, just having a negative yeah. uh, discussion. So what are you most excited about working on over the next year in this office? Yeah, we certainly have, um, we certainly have our challenges that, uh, that, are, that are being faced in I think that's what the majority of this job is, right? It's challenges. Um, we are trying to look forward um, with with the support of Governor Mills. We've got an opportunity to expand our budget a little bit here. And, and you shouldn't say a little bit, a 20% increase for the Department yeah, of Human Resources. Yeah, that's a nice chunk. Is, yeah. ma- is massive. Um, it is uh, the one thing, some things that I'm looking forward to are getting that budget passed, being able to rebuild our wet lab in Booth Bay Harbor um, and um, uh, get it come into compliance in, in the, here in the 21st century on, on biosecurity issues and do a lot more from a research, research standpoint that directly impacts management. Um, you know, those are the type of things that, we, that I'm looking forward to trying to resolving internally to the agency. Um, you know, the... All of these concerns that we've talked about, though, um, aquaculture is another one. I mean, I'm very excited about the future of aquaculture in this state. Um, We have challenges, yes, but I'm very optimistic that we're going to end up in the right place. Um, You know, know, the world wants and needs seafood. The world wants Maine seafood. So as long as that is still in place. I'm optimistic that we can find ways to supply seafood in a in, in a sustainable way, and uh, trying to resolve these problems are actually the opportunities uh, for the state. Pat, that is a fantastic way to end. So we're going to call it. Thank you so much for taking the time this morning. I really appreciate sure. all your thoughts and uh, all the energy you're putting into making making sure that we can go catch that sustainable seafood from from the state of Maine. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Pat. Maine Coast Dock Talk is a production of the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association, an industry-based nonprofit that identifies and fosters ways to restore the fisheries of the Gulf of Maine and sustain Maine's fishing communities for future generations. For more information about our work, to make a donation, or to listen to previous episodes of Dock Talk, you can visit our website, maincoastfishermen.org.